recall um, watching uh, one of your services a while back, and your dear pastor was preaching. Uh, two things I noticed. One, he took this off, which is great. I'm going to follow suit. And the second thing is, lovely seeing the outdoors behind it. So it's just a, a nice, comforting environment. Um, my wife, Gail, and I are um, delighted uh, to be uh, to be with you uh, this morning. Um, and let me then uh, let me then read our scripture, First um, Peter chapter three, um, six through nine, three through nine rather. This is God's word. Actually, I'll start at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus. Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead uh, to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, uh, as was necessary, that you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word. Pray with me again. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would visit us with your, um, your wisdom, um, your presence that pervades every corner of our hearts, that we might behold uh, something fresh, and beautiful of our Savior this morning, that we would leave this place encouraged with purpose uh, to live for your glory. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. You are visiting uh, Kaibira, a section of uh, the city of Nairobi in Kenya. Uh, it is a desperate place. Uh, raw sewage flows uh, through a gully uh, by the street uh, in which you are entering that region. 
There are houses uh, around you that are made of scraps of wood that are patched together with dried mud. There are naked children uh, playing in uh, the gully. You see um, off to the side a hollow-eyed 12-year-old girl who is identified by your guide as a prostitute. You can perceive uh, the sickness. Uh, you are aware that uh, wives are regularly abused by their husbands. Uh, there is drunkenness. There truly is an air of desperation that really has uh, a toxic cloud that is hovering uh, over the place. But in the distance, uh, you hear a low rumble, a low roar. And as you approach a little shack, uh, there is a, a group of people uh, meeting in this little church. And in that region uh, that is characterized by desperation, you hear uh, voices as people are, are raising their voices in praise to our God. Arms are raised into the air, uh, tears streaming down the faces, urgent prayers as people are glorifying the Lord with their whole hearts. They have nothing of this world's goods as we would consider but they knew that they had everything in Christ. The resurrection life of Jesus Christ truly, deeply, powerfully, beautifully uh, transformed their lives. This morning, um, I, I want you to consider uh, your own suffering in the context of the resurrection of Jesus and in your own resurrection as well. It could be that some of you here uh, have memories of, of, of suffering in the past. It, it could be that you are haunted by those memories and that you awaken sometimes even at night with a sense of fear or are washed over at times with a sense of shame, either because of something that you've done or something that has been done to you. Some of you may be living with suffering in the present, suffering that no one else in this room perhaps even knows about and yet it is creating hopelessness in you and at times even hardening your heart to God. Um, our hope today, thank God, it's not in the, in the vaccinations that we get, right? We encourage that, it's a good thing. But our hope uh, today uh, in, is in Jesus Christ who died, who was raised, and who is coming again. And my point, if it can be boiled down to one sentence this morning, is that Christ's resurrection revolutionizes everything about your life today and in the life to come. Christ's resurrection revolutionizes everything in this life and in the life to come. We want to look at three main points in this wonderful passage this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, the first is that uh, the resurrection gives you a living hope. The resurrection gives you a living hope. You are born again, verse 3, into this living hope, and it changed absolutely everything in the lives of the uh, Chimeran people. Uh, God-given rebirth so changes us that we are regenerated uh, into hope. 
One writer puts it this way, regeneration is a calm explosion of the life and power of God through the Spirit. Uh, it is, as it were, an ignition switch in a car that is cold and, and it's been sitting overnight in frigid weather. And yet when you turn that ignition switch, the, the car comes to life and heats up and is useful. Uh, our regeneration is an ignition switch uh, by the power of the Spirit. And yet, we can still be going through suffering. Uh, suffering can lead us to feel dead inside and apart from God, and even without hope. And yet the Spirit uh, replaces that dead heart and so that you are uh, into a living hope and you are full of life in the presence of God. Now, in this regeneration, this having a new life, uh, that doesn't mean that God gives you what you used to want. It actually means that God changes what you want, and you want his glory. These dirt poor people tasted the glory of heaven, and it simply changed everything about their lives. They saw the beauty of God in the muddy, broken world around them. You are born again into a living hope. And the resurrection, even larger than that, standing back a little bit farther, the resurrection also sets in motion the new and coming world. The resurrection of Jesus. Rome could not keep him dead. Um, their seal on the tomb was futile. And did they actually think he needed to use the door? His resurrection begins a revolution and a renovation. The curse that, uh, of Adam brings us into a world of sin and misery. It is full of racial disharmony. Our hearts are broken again by what we see uh, coming out of, of Indianapolis. Uh, this is uh, an awful thing that we see in our world. Uh, family tension and chronic pain and and, and uh, disillusionment that people have, and yet we still contend that God raising Christ from the dead is the first act of him making all things new. That Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn, and who therefore is the secondborn? It is you and me, his brothers and sisters. God has planted a seed in us that makes us children of heaven. And so that changes the way we look at suffering here on this earth. Do we allow suffering to rule us? Do we allow suffering to control our outlook? You remember, you remember uh, Job, of course, um, who argued his case against God and was based upon uh, his being the righteous sufferer, and he was. And he, led, and he led an exemplary life, and he did, as much as anyone in the Old Testament. And yet, even in the midst, or because of his, of, of his suffering there, we find him uh, calling God to account, saying, you explain yourself to me. Without telling the whole story, finally at the end of the book, he gasps at, the, at his own audacity. I had heard of you, he said, but now I have seen you. Now I know. You are part now of a renewed uh, creation 
you are born again by the Spirit because of his mercy. And, and it's not just that you're going there one day. You are actually from there. People of heaven populating this earth now. Uh, you are given through the resurrection of Jesus this blessed new hope. The resurrection of Jesus also, however, guarantees your future, uh, your glorious future. We see this in verses uh, 4 and 5. The Kyberians uh, knew that their inheritance was yet uh, was yet to come. Uh, your best life now, you've heard that from some of the pulpits in this country. It's a, it's a slogan that plays best in the affluent West. But the scripture calls us to be preoccupied with what is coming not with what you now have or with what you now lack. Uh, a poll was taken a while back about what uh, the, so a, a group of, of uh, celebrities, famous people, um, uh, how, how, what they were looking forward to about heaven. And it was interesting to hear the responses that people were making. I, I look forward to um, there being no more sickness, no more death. I'll be able to see my friends and, and, and various other earthbound Privileges or, or things that we enjoy, and what was what was profoundly missing uh, was, oh yes, and we will be with Jesus. A, a Christian looks forward to seeing Jesus, and you will then be like him, for you will finally see him as he is. There's three things this text uh, tells us about our inheritance. The first thing is that it is imperishable. It is imperishable, uh, it is indestructible, it will be there uh, when you need it, uh, it is ready for you, it is a certain thing, hang on, uh, it's, it's going to be there for you. It's also undefiled, because Jesus is undefiled, um, he is clean, he is beautiful, um, he is uh, not defective in any way, your inheritance in Jesus is undefiled. So, so often, things that we want here uh, can capture, capture our hearts. Is, is that not correct? I, I can remember many, many years ago, this is going to sound so infantile, but many, many years ago, actually wanting a particular pair of shoes. Because a man that I had high respect for had a, shoe, a pair of shoes like that. And so, finally, got around to buying these shoes um, and, and I can remember opening, opening the box and being thoroughly disappointed. This is what I was waiting for. It, it is simply dust rearranged. But our inheritance is undefiled. Not only that, that it is unfading. It will never lose its beauty. Uh, you will never, ever be disappointed being in the presence of Jesus. You will never be bored and just want to flick the, through your phone. You just, you're not going to be bored. Your inheritance is unfading, kept in heaven for you, waiting for you. So, so having that inheritance in our minds, um, the, the resurrected Jesus Christ and us with him, it does carry us through today's troubles. It does. that guaranteed and, and glorious future. This, this COVID thing that 
disrupts our schedules and keeps our pastors out of pulpits from time to time. It, it is so easy to be preoccupied with blaming certain people for it. Conspiracy theories and, and thus and so forth. Uh, we can charge the political machine with some form of, of manipulation and all of these things we can get ratcheted up about. And what we find is the, the benefit of COVID, if I can put it in those terms, the benefit of COVID is that it does expose our hearts to us. It lets us see what we're like. It lets us see what we're about and how we handle stress. And when someone is responding in this moment, this COVID moment by faith, you will see people that are more calm than distracted and distressed. You will see people that are more generous with others instead of impugning motives all the time. And you will see people that are patient rather than impatient at what God is doing. The work of the Spirit in the lives of people afflicted in pandemic will display the glory of Christ and the hope of the resurrection in a way that will get people's attention for its beauty. The resurrection of Jesus, he's there gone before us, guarantees our glorious future. The, the third point we see in verses 6 through 9 is that it, the resurrection fortifies you for today's trouble. It fortifies you for today's trouble. Um, suffering, we see in verse 6, is necessary. Uh, suffering is a necessary part of this life. Now, granted, your suffering and mine is probably not to the extent of that of that Chimerian village that we've been thinking about, but it's still big. Your suffering is still big because you're carrying it, and at times you're deeply discouraged and disappointed by it. Suffering is not something simply to be evaded. It is something to be expected because it is a necessary part of our human experience. I want you to flip over with me to chapter 2 for just a moment. Uh, we see in chapter 2, verse 21, uh, that uh, for this you have been called, this life of suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Interesting, the Greek word behind that word example is the word from which we get our word paradigm. Jesus is our paradigm. Um, he is the one after whom we are modeled but we are, are like him uh, in, in suffering. A woman not long ago came to my office, and she has been going through a, a, a horrific uh, divorce from really a wretched human being. And, um, and, and some other things were going on in her life, and she came in, into the office, and, and she just said, I know this must be from Satan, but why does God allow it? So listen, ask more about it, what's going on, and, and, and then and then turning to this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse, uh, verse 21, uh, your suffering is intended by God, it is provided by God in order for you to follow by faith the paradigm of Jesus Christ. It's not that you deserve a life suffering free. It's that God has granted you faith. But the apostle also says in, in Philippians 2 that he's also granted suffering to you. It is necessary. 
And so in chapter 4, uh, Peter says, don't be surprised, uh, don't be uh, surprised by it as if something what? Something strange were happening to you. This is not strange. This is part of our uh, what we can expect in this life. Well, how then, with, with all of this, the fact that suffering is necessary, and, and, and it's not a surprise, it's, it's not something that is strange, how is it still that we are to, to uh, as verse 6 in, uh, states, we are to rejoice in suffering? I know we got to have it. I know it's part of this life. I get that. And yet the call is to rejoice in it? We, we must humbly ask the question, how does that happen? I think it's this. The best things that we see in life, the best things that we have in life, that is knowing God, um, having the gracious influence of the Spirit in our lives, indwelling us and, and leading us in a life of joyful obedience, and, and having a Savior who is altogether lovely and beautiful. Those are the best things. The best things come to us not through the good things of life, that is the comfort and the ease that we often enjoy. The best things don't come to us through the good things of life, but through the hard things. Being without the things that we want, whatever the form of suffering that we may go through, the best things come to us not through the good things, but through the hard things. And that's what verse 7 is really going on to tell us, is suffering is purposeful. Suffering is purposeful. So often, um, when we do go through suffering, we, we have some, we have to at least battle the self-pity that can rise up, and it's, why me? And we get this strange idea that other people do not suffer the way I do. My suffering is unique, and why me? And yet this, this verse is telling us that, that faith is like gold, except for it's even more precious than gold. Gold, you see, won't ask, uh, outlast the fires at the end time, but faith does. Uh, gold, uh, 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 faith is like gold in a couple of ways. One is that the impurities are burned out of you, even as impurities are burned out of, of, out of gold. Under the fires of suffering, uh, the impurities are burnt. Of course, suffering is painful, but keep in mind that it is burning out what isn't good for you anyway. Suffering um, burns out the impurities from within us, but it also burns into us faith and obedience. I want you to, I want you to look back on an experience in your life that you had that you would perhaps you even regularly think of it as a time that you had to suffer in an unusual way, in an unusually difficult way. You look back on, on that time with some distance and, and I suspect that you will be able to say there are ways in which I sorely needed that suffering. It was not arbitrary. It was not vindictive. I needed it, and not only that, I'm glad for it because of what God has done in my life. And so we will stand before him 
and we will say, Lord Jesus, you are worth every bit of the suffering that I endured for the praise and glory and honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus fortifies us for today's trouble. We're reminded that suffering is necessary. We're also reminded that suffering is purposeful. And we see finally that suffering deepens our joy in Jesus. Jesus' resurrection um, and our um, resurrection that's already started, this new life, um, casts a, a shadow of brightness over even your dark times. Um, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a humbling passage, and we must ask the question, does it, does it faithfully describe us? Does it describe what we are like, or better yet, what we are beginning to be like? Is he really what you want? Many, many people who have grown up in or around the church can say, I believe in Jesus, and say it with all of the the meaning of the sentence, I also believe in uranium. I believe in flowers, but they exist. The deeper question is, do we love this Jesus? I want to think for a minute about how uh, God's mercy uh, in Jesus actually changes our lives. What is the glory of the gospel that actually changes our lives? Just a couple of important reminders um, that, that should elevate our hearts and our minds to glorify Jesus in, in fresh power. And that is that Jesus, first of all, does truly remove the guilt of sin from our lives and our hearts, that he endured God's just and complete punishment so that your conscience can be at complete rest in Jesus. There, there is nothing left in you or in me that God has uh, to punish. And he will never turn away from you in either disappointment or irritation. He never will do that. He is completely satisfied that your guilt is gone. The other part of justification, of course, is that he gives full acceptance that, that you have all the righteousness in Jesus that you need to enter heaven and to receive that inheritance. So your conscience can be at rest. You can go through life and feel overstressed and like you're never getting your day finished. And I'm here to tell you that there is nothing left for you to do. Nothing that you have left undone. Your conscience can finally be at rest. And that empty tomb then is also by God's mercy. And in his life, in his resurrection, Jesus orients you uh, towards heaven. He orients you so that you face his risen face, giving unquenchable hope, living hope that you will see him face to face. 
John Bunyan uh, put it this way, concerned about the fact that there's some people who would talk about the cross and talk little about the resurrection. He said, oh, the cross, oh, the sepulcher. And what he was saying is, don't ever say the one without the other. The cross, sins forgiven, but Christ risen, and you risen with him, and dwelling with him, seated with him on high. And so you can and do rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You are already on your way, obtaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Kids, I want to, I want to talk to you for just a moment here. Um, you have likely, you're in the process of growing up in the church. Here you are. And you are hearing things weekly uh, and also in your homes. Uh, you're hearing a lot about Jesus and you perhaps have memorized some catechisms and that is a very good thing. And you probably know a number of verses in the Bible and that is also, of course, a very good thing. So you're coming to know something about Jesus. And the question that I'm asking you this morning is, do you know Jesus? In fact, do you love Jesus. The, the Bible tells us that there are some telltale indicators about those who are going to be raised up into heaven with Jesus that have to do with the resurrection. Um, who, um, who will be there in heaven? Um, what kind of person will be in heaven? What is that person's heart like? What are that person's loves revolving around? What, how does that person orient their lives? I'm going to read three things from, from the epistles that describe the person that will be in heaven. That, that when Jesus returns, they will marvel at him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The people who will be in heaven are people who don't just know Jesus and things about him or know things about Jesus, but they marvel at him. Hebrews 9 says, the people who will be raised into glory with Jesus are those who are eagerly waiting for him. They're not eagerly pursuing the, the, the rearranged dirt of this world. And thirdly, 2 Timothy says, they, they loved his appearing. They were, they were up on tiptoes looking at the horizon, waiting to see the return of Jesus. Is, is, that, is that you, my little friends today? Uh, Jesus bids you come, putting your faith and trust in him fully and saying that he is altogether good. He's what your heart longs for. Big people need to do that too, of course. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we call out to you um, this morning, um, even now, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you give us by faith now even a glimpse of this Jesus and cause us to stand on our tiptoes and gaze at the horizon to marvel at him, to love his appearing, to, uh, to eagerly wait for him. And so we may live here um, in the midst of, of even our suffering, rejoicing in joy that is inexpressible and full of glory.